Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Just all of the chicken. Double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. All right, let's get this bad boy going on a Tuesday, shall we? Yesterday was outstanding. Big shout-out to everybody that showed up out at Carmel, the location of Buffalo Wild Wings yesterday on a blue Monday, 146th Street. It was a blast. It was packed. And, again, a lot of love to Amanda and the gang, Janet, everybody that helped us out yesterday, our friends at Bud Light, per usual. Those are really fun, those Mondays. And let me tell you, it is a heck of a lot better after a Colts win than it is after a Colts loss. And no doubt about that. That's one thing that you soak up. And I wanted you not only to soak that up yesterday, but also soak it up today now we're going to mix in ben brown of pff to see if those offensive line numbers improved at least the eyeball test we thought that they did this past sunday we'll see how much better dennis kelly i guess if at all i guess i could qualify it by saying if at all but at least it looked the part finally right somebody had asked me yesterday what was more surprising no interceptions or no sacks he probably could have added no fumbles too, but no, the the no inter- the no sack thing was the most surprising, because the thirty seven year old quarterback literally had been running for his life, and when you look at the numbers this week, especially quarterback numbers, Matt Ryan's at the top of the list. I think second on the list as far as yardage is concerned, but near the top of the list as of what he did against the Jaguars on Sunday. But no, get to play off of that a little bit more and then get you set what should be just a mammoth game coming up on Sunday against the Tennessee Titans. I'd like to sit here and tell you that everybody's looking for a little bit of payback, a little bit of get back. Maybe that's just us. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just you. Just a week-to-week thing for these guys because they do it so much and they're actually inside it. I don't know. We look at it differently, I guess. You and I, right? Like, I look at it and say, wow, you guys got just completely clowned. I'm giving you an example of Jacksonville. And we thought, well, you go in and you take care of Jacksonville because you're sore about it. Because you're upset about it. Now, granted... That's what a lot of these guys told us in the offseason. Didn't look that way in week number two. I don't know how much it looked that way even on Sunday. It was just a better, a more well-executed game. With the exception 
of the defensive defensive game against the run, I, I think everybody looks at the most well-executed game in a lot of areas than we have seen this season, especially offensively. Somebody had made the point that was the lone game this season where you really truly felt like that they did reach out, grabbed it, said, hey, we want this. This is ours. Let's get it. Completely agree. Even though they were still in come-from-behind fashion, didn't feel that way. I mean, to a degree, I guess you could suggest that against Kansas City. Didn't certainly look that way against Denver. It just looked like two teams that were trying to grind this out for some sort of survival, didn't it? In that game? And then I don't even know what you make of, of Houston. Kind of wonder, right? You wonder a little bit, had Alec Pierce brought that? And again, we're talking about different problems. But if Alec Pierce would have caught that touchdown pass Anybody have on their mind that maybe things could have been different? Maybe not drastically different, but feel-good-wise, much different? Because honestly, if you go from that game, and even if he does catch it, and let's just say they go on and win that, great. If you go on from week one to week two and still get depanced in Jacksonville, we probably have similar feelings to what we have expressed over the past month-plus. That said, it is interesting to think about it from that standpoint. Had had that occurred, had Blankenship knocked in a game-winning field goal, would he still be on the team, for goodness sake? Those are the what-ifs for me. You don't have very many what-ifs in that week two against Jacksonville. The what-ifs against Tennessee, not so much. We were talking about this yesterday, too, both on and off the air about Tennessee and what what makes Tennessee, uh, example, what makes Tennessee a team that the owner, Jim Irsay, as I've mentioned before, I think is a little bit smitten regarding, a little bit jealous of because certainly of their recent history level of success, but it's also a team that is built in a way that you know that the Colts wanted to see themselves and then see themselves flourish. And it just hasn't happened that way. Not compared to what Tennessee has accomplished. So it is a downer. The past two years, you see him go to the AFC title game. You see him be the one seed. Now, again, they got ousted as the one seed by the Bengals, but they did enter the postseason as the one seed in the AFC. And then you see them getting out of the hole that they initially dug, and they're doing so without major components. We'll see if this is a springboard for the Colts because they got that win on Sunday without a couple of major components. One that you're kind of still waiting to see be a major component, whether you want to blame him or you want to blame the offense, yeah, well, whatever. It's all open for debate, and really, you can probably – we could debate 21 prior to the injury and say, oh, is it him or is it the offense? Because I've been on board with it in the past. It's been the offense. And then you see a guy like Deion Jackson, who's going to join the show tomorrow, step in, and Deion Jackson you know, immediately kind of takes hold. So that gives those that believe that this is basically on 21 more ammunition in a debate to say, well, he's overpaid, underused, 
underproducing. I know this. I know Naheem Hines is always inspired when he goes out there. It'd be interesting to see how much more inspired he's going to be, you know, coming back from that injury and missing time and taking that hit and being in concussion protocol, but also because you see a dude that has stepped in and, and Deion Jackson has played well. He's played well. So we'll see if there's any more inspiration there. I'm not suggesting at all when he is healthy that there is going to be a change. But you do look at it, most of the game in Denver, and then that game on Sunday. Chris Ballard has consistently talked about depth with this team, and you did see some of that depth. You saw a decent running game in Denver the week prior. Whether it was Lindsey or Jackson, a decent running game. And then you saw guys step up like Deion Jackson before he went out with that injury on Sunday. Now, as I've always told you this, to me, it starts because that's how this team has been constructed. It starts with the offensive line. If you can get a higher level of play, which is expected, and what we saw on Sunday, then this team can offensively be I'm assuming what they thought they could be coming out of camp, what the Colts thought they could be when they made these offseason maneuvers, when they traded for Matt Ryan, when they gave him the keys at the age of 37 and said, you know what, we believe we have built one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. We can extend your career by a couple of years. You can help us bridge the gap between quarterbacks here. All that conversation that we were having in the offseason that basically up until Sunday – did not look realistic. Now, much like you tell me when you say, hey, you don't have any patience whatsoever. It is a long season. I felt that five weeks is good enough of a sample size to talk about what's going wrong and what's not going wrong. Just the way that it is. But certainly five weeks is good enough of a window to talk about it and make an educated judgment on it at that time. Now, for those of you that said, hey, you're impatient, then you turn around and then you tell me yesterday, hey, look what our guy has done right now. I told you you're wrong. Look at the game that he's had. You're using really an even smaller sample size. But again, it gives you hope that maybe something offensively can turn around. Why? Because that offensive line. Because it played up to the expectations. I, the nuts and the bolts of it, I couldn't tell you. I'd have to ask Rick Venturi. I'm sure he'd have an answer for me. Who was actually playing well according to guys that have coached it up. And I do get that. But it's the numbers aspect that we'll go over with Ben Brown. Because it certainly felt, it's like the film Animal House. Remember when the stork, when he stepped in? Um, and the, the marching band leader, he shoved out of the way and marched him right down the alley into the brick wall. I mean, really, and essentially, that's how you look at this, this offensive line. They can either march you down the alley into a brick wall, or they can keep going down the road, improve, and make this offense more of what everybody thought it was going to be. It's pretty simple. And realistically, it does start there. 
We talk about a lot of things in in the moment, and we make a lot of in-the-moment huge predictions, and maybe things will end up changing. And one of those, hopefully, is what you've seen from the quarterback. And true story of it is that Matt Ryan is going to be as good as those around him. And let's face it, those around him, especially those protecting him, in charge of protecting him, hadn't been that good. Thus, his game had not been that good. He and they were much better on Sunday. They got behind, and then they stepped up and they grinded it out. It was without a Derrick Henry type of presence. It was very Tennessee. Maybe too many points for a Tennessee offense. But getting out and grinding it out, executing, making plays when it matters, you know, all this stuff we talked about yesterday, all the stuff that will bleed in today, today what we're talking about, you know, everything that the owner of the Colts really likes about Tennessee, some of the stuff that the Colts did this past Sunday, again, the defense against the run, not so much. But clearly everything else looked like it took shape is that a longer term taking of shape or is that just a moment in time again all this will be the dictation of what you get from the offensive line that's where you start and I will also say this you can talk about the coaching staff because the coaching staff helped out the quarterback and that offense and that line a great deal as well As Frank Reich said yesterday, you cannot sustain with how we played, throwing it 58 times. You know, the plan is not moving forward with that tempo, with that hurry-up offense. You know, Michael Pittman Jr. said after the game that he was exhausted because it does take out. It wears on those. It's, It's one thing to prepare for it for a week, but to be able to do it and then do it longer term, That's not something that they view that's at all feasible. But at the same time, I think you can take certain aspects of what they did against Jacksonville in either the hurry up and certainly the quick rhythm passes that you can do to sustain and make this offense better. In fact, not only do I think they can do it and should do it, but I think they have to do it. I think when you look back at that game, one of the real reasons why the offensive line was as successful for the first time this season as it was, was because of the change of pace that was thrown at them offensively. Drop back passing and waiting and holding on to it and then looking downfield still does not look like that that is something that will help this Colts offense flourish. But it certainly worked to the tune of 34 points on Sunday. And then you compare that to scoring zero in week number two against that same defense. It's a big deal. It's something you got to look at, something you have to look at, something you have to take away from that. Certainly, if not the entirety of it, with 58 passes, with the hurry up, with the complete tempo, but you have to take something away from it. And we'll talk about that. Joel Erickson of the Star is going to be here coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. I mentioned Ben Brown, the data scientist of Pro Football Focus, is going to jump in here coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. The numbers were ugly last week. 
and rightly so. That was coming off that Denver win. I will say this. If I'm a member of the Broncos' defense, I'm probably hot. That offense could do anything for them. Anything. Can you imagine? And I know how you feel around here. You're still apprehensive. You're feeling good. But some of you are still apprehensive about the direction at the quarterback position. Maybe this doesn't make you feel good. Maybe it does. But take it for what it's worth. At least right now, you're not in a Denver situation with how much you owe Russell Wilson and how that is working out. Maybe it comes down to head coach and player. Either the quarterback's not it or the head coach isn't it because something is not working. See what Melvin Gordon said after the game? He was benched basically standing over there and, you know, obviously against his former team wanting to get an opportunity. And he basically, when asked the question after the game, said, I had no idea why I was benched. Now, with what he did production-wise, you can kind of look at the numbers and go, okay, well, this guy's really not doing anything. But it's not like much else of what Denver was trying to do offensively was working either. Yeah, if you're a member of that defense, you have to be extremely frustrated. And a fan base where you're going, we expected so much more. They showed that video, I think it was in the first half yesterday, where Russell Wilson had that open receiver over the middle, and he stared him down and still didn't throw it for a first down. And instead took a sack. Like, I am not throwing this thing over the middle for nothing. Guy was standing wide open, and he would not pull the trigger. So you could, I guess, be in their situation with a head coach and a quarterback and a lot of lofty expectations clearly under fire in the mile-high city right now. Yeah, Chargers survived. They didn't look very good either. There is a good point to be had. You look around, and we'll just keep this to the AFC. It's basically Buffalo. And then everybody else thrown into a bucket right now. Think about this. And again, it all comes down because I know, and I don't want to go cliche on you, but the old week-to-week NFL stuff, whatever. But everybody else, it just depends on where you are in that bucket. The Bills are 5-1, and and clearly, according to the AFC, look better than anybody else. The Jets are four and two. I mean, come on, that's going to end up being smoke and mirrors. I think the Dolphins, when Tua gets back, will probably not as be as good as they were, but will be certainly more of a threat than they have been without him. They're three and three. Patriots are three and three. Ravens three and three. Bengals three and three. Titans and Colts three and two. Chiefs and Chargers four and two. You saw the Chargers act like now. I mean it. it They're much like the Colts, just a little bit better than a hapless-looking offensively Broncos team last night. All of these teams right now are absolutely thrown into a bucket, so it's time to make a major move. And it just so happens you're against your rival in the South coming up on Sunday. Now is the time. Uh, we'll talk about now being the time with Greg Rakestraw, who hosts the post-game show and so much more. He's going to join us coming up around the bottom of the hour here as well. A black 
Friday game to be added by the NFL in 2023. That's coming out of the New York City owners' meetings this afternoon. Really nothing else other than you can tell that Troy Vincent, Troy Vincent is uh, all in on the protection of the quarterback. So all this stuff that has transpired, and oddly enough, right, because you had the Tom Brady stuff and the roughing the passer calls, and then you had the one we talked about yesterday that probably the same as with that Brady crew in Atlanta the week prior, or might have been in Tampa, but between the Falcons and the Buccaneers, they could have made that low hit on Ryan call late in that, uh, that touchdown pass drive to Alec Pierce on Sunday, but they didn't. It sounds like from the owners' meetings, if you don't dig on the way that they utilize making the call on roughing the passer, that is not going to get any better for you. It's probably, in fact, going to be more frustrating for you in the future. So be ready for that. Now, by the way, that Black Friday game in 23 is going to be on Amazon Prime Video. Everybody, if you're just going for the free sample right now, you might as well go ahead and get it, right? Because some of these games that you want to watch are going to be on there even more so. How long do you think it is? Is it going to be, you think, the next cycle of renewing contracts before they swoop in and take something from a network? And then every week you're kind of doing this? I think, yeah, next next contract. But luckily for a lot of fans around here, that's not for another decade. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about that for a while. But it another will happen. Decade. Yeah. See, How old do you be in another decade? Probably so that, be... that, that'll be in your wheelhouse right there. Yeah. Late 30s, early 40s. I'm 52 right now. I'll be 62. But I think I'll make it to 62. I'm not sure. I took a bath in a tub of CBD oil today because I want to play hoop tonight. It smelled like olive oil. I walked in the room. Yeah, I thought, like I was like, "What's going on in here?" Olive oil. I thought CBD oil would like smell like weed or something, but I, yeah, I smell like an Italian dish right now. <laughs> I smell like some fettuccine working in here. I literally took a bath in it. That's my rehab right there. Yeah, Kyle comes in the studio downstairs and man, you've been eating Italian food, and I said, "No, nah, I've been rubbing CBD oil all over my foot." Good to go. So, yeah, I don't know. 62 seems like a high watermark for me, the way things are going right now. I'm not quite sure. But that is coming, certainly, in the next 10 years. Yeah, you look at the AFC. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. Everybody but Buffalo, all right there together. This weekend, and I know it sounds overdramatic, but whatever. This weekend... This weekend can really start the absolute believability of the Colts. Or it won't let you pass go and you go back to the beginning a little bit here. So much riding on. Now, again, you're still going to be in it. But you will have the chance to get in front and start not just dictating terms within your own division, but then you start thinking about with the schedule coming up, maybe dictating your own terms. I know that that's getting far down the road here. But if I'm going to over-dramatize the situation on Sunday, I might as well go all the way. Without question, that is large. It would be great, would it not? 
to see the Colts get a little bit of separation. I know what you're saying. The last time they had separation playoff-wise, they blew it. Right. But to get yourself some separation, a little bit of separation slash momentum in October before Halloween, wouldn't that give you the ultimate Colts fan sports arousal? Instead of dragging on it, going to Halloween, uh, the Colts. Big one on Sunday. We'll talk about that with Greg Rakestraw coming up at the bottom of the hour. Major League Baseball's ALDS is going to have that decision. Game rained out, game five, and then they had all sorts of hotel problems. How can you have all those hotel problems in New York? No place to stay? You would think there would be a hotel on every block, right? You would think that there'd be no place. can't stay here, I'll stay there. You know, I, I made light of you know, John Heyman who writes – I think from MLB Network, he's a national baseball writer. You know, I guess every year at this time, he ends up talking about how the major league, major league baseball would really love to have the Yankees punch through because it's that market and that's so tired every single year. Yeah, that's what you want. You want to make sure that the Yankees punch through so the next time they have a weather delay, there are no hotels available for anybody to stay so the players can sleep on the bus which they didn't, doesn't matter. This, this, this postseason has been spectacular. I saw Buster Olney had a tweet yesterday about if you were going to change the postseason, what would you change? I think it's been great. You've had great storylines. I mean, even the team like Seattle that's already been eliminated was fun as hell. I thought Toronto was fun as hell, and they lost out in two games at home. Just leave it alone. Stop blanking with it. What's wrong with it? Every time we get something good and you can embrace it, somebody's got to go screwing with it. Stop jacking with stuff. Ben Brown, PFF data scientist, Joel Erickson of the Star, Greg Rakestraw is going to join us coming up as well. Later on this week, our locations, I'll tell you about that and any other sports information that comes across our sports desk. We'll get you updated. The stream, the app, everything's going strong inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Again, thanks yesterday to Amanda and everybody at Buffalo Wild Wings in Carmel. It was a great time. That's every Monday. It is a blue Monday at a different Buffalo Wild Wings location throughout central Indiana. By the way, we're coming to Columbus, to Shelbyville, to Lebanon, Franklin, all over the course of the rest of this season. Buffalo Wild Wings, every Monday it's called a Blue Monday. Quick break. Greg Rakestraw on the other side. 93.5107.5. The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Look at all those ding-dongs. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm going to do some calls today, too, if you guys want to jump on board. We'll talk it out. Ben Brown, top of the hour. Pro football focus. He will geekst us, betwixt us, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Joel A. Erickson of the Star. Around five bells for you. I think that game five is officially underway at four today, right? Uh, we'll keep you updated in case you care. I know Brian Kelly does because he's a big Guardians fan at the shop in Broad Ripple and Carmel, the shopindy.com for the JMV Takeover t-shirts right now. Gary asked this, JMV, what are your thoughts on a Pacer opening night win tomorrow evening? I think that you're probably going to have some disappointment, but everybody's going to be jacked up, I think, for tomorrow night and good. I don't know how long-lasting it's going to be. 
I don't think you can count on it two out of three nights every night. Hopefully I'm proven wrong. But certainly at the beginning, there is a new and fresh feeling. Kind of like me buying new underwear. Just a new and a fresh feeling. Go get that tomorrow night. And the first three are at home. As far as long-term, probably not. But it is new and it is fresh, and you get that cranking open coming up tomorrow night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. So you had Kerry Underwood last night. You have Lizzo tonight. And the Pacers kick things off coming up tomorrow night. Gamebridge Fieldhouse is rocking. Rocking like docking. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. His name is Greg Rakestraw. He does so many things. It's really tough to bring him in and intro him in the style in which we should. But he's most notably right now the pace. I checked that the Colts post game show host. And I'm assuming everything was bright, everything was good, jovial, just a feel good after party after that game on Sunday. We had two great hours and three dummies at the end. Other than that, it was spectacular. Oh, you have a couple of stragglers there at the end, a couple of... And a couple of people that apparently had too much time to actually contemplate and marinate, you know, what a win felt like and found ways to complain about it. So. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's just get a talk radio in general. I'm sure that there are probably more than a couple of people that felt that I did that yesterday. It is called whizzing in your Wheaties, and I don't mean to do that, and I certainly don't do that, but I understand where you're coming from. Not right after the game, right. What I basically said, John, to the first guy was, so listen, I said, I want you to call back in when you win the lottery so you can complain about the taxes. And then the second guy was complaining about a lack of leadership and sort of ripping on DeForest Buckner. I felt the need to point out the fact that I'm like, hey, dude's basically playing with one arm at this point. He has the equivalent of what would be a old clunky ACL tear brace on his elbow to make sure he plays. And he individually made one play that prevented three points because yeah. of where he sacked Trevor Lawrence. Then I had another guy that wanted to bring up Carson Wentz, and I just said, okay, we're done with calls for the night. Uh, All right, so what kind, of, what kind of jackass would get on DeForest Buckner for a lack of leadership? I, I, Seriously. I, I mean, what kind of jackass do you have to be to call in with that opinion? It's uh, a great question. Especially uh, playing but, through it, playing through that elbow injury and playing well with that elbow right. injury. Exactly. If there's if there's a couple, if there's one position where you're not questioning the effort of the Indianapolis Colts, it would be the defensive tackle position, given how Buckner and Stewart have played so far this year. Just, uh, but again, you never know what you're getting a live call in show. High level jackassery, right there. It is. Greg Rakestraw is with us. I did say this that there is an opportunity when you look at the AFC. Other than Buffalo, so far with their level of play, there's zero separation. And you get the opportunity coming up on Sunday to redeem yourself and and really get yourself a little pre-Halloween leverage back. There is so much riding on this game in Nashville Sunday, Greg. Absolutely. Um, Colts had to win that game against Jacksonville, uh, I would say, of a similar ilk against Tennessee because you've already given them one in your own place. But I guess big picture the way I look at it is this. There's no one in the National Football League that I don't feel the Colts couldn't beat on a given Sunday. On the flip side, there is no such thing as a guaranteed win on the remainder of the Indianapolis Colts schedule. And we have used the nauseating cliche week-to-week league for some time. We were immune to that for a long time in Indianapolis. You fell out of bed and won 12 games a year. 
It's obviously been over a decade ago since that has been the case. But it has never been as much, at least in the case of the Colts, as much of a week-to-week league, and you never know what to expect than what we have in this football team right here. Yeah, and I I think, to me, it starts. I think we can a little more know what to expect if the offensive line combined with the offense and the execution is like what we saw, especially in the second half on Sunday. Agree? Agreed. And and what, what made me so excited about Sunday was now I have seen all three units play a good football game. Not all simultaneously, obviously, because the defense had to carry the mail the first five weeks. Certainly didn't do that as much. Made enough big plays to win it on Sunday. Um, special teams has been more solid than not for the entirety of the season, with the exception of one field goal kick in overtime uh, during week number one. But special teams have largely been good this year. And the offense was finally something better than competent uh, in the way that they played on Sunday. So now I've got the confidence or at least the knowledge that, hey, this group is capable of of being a, an upper half offense in the National Football League. I'm not sure they need – I think they can be average and be fine. I think that's how good this group is defensively, what they can do on special teams. I now know what this team is capable of in all three phases. It's simply a matter of putting it together on a regular basis. It's like Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So how much of what we saw from that O-line, protection-wise, execution-wise, was real, including what we saw from that game for the first time in a Colts uniform from Dennis Kelly? I think clearly the pass blocking is real. Now, the run blocking needs to be a little bit better. Uh, And, yes, the Colts went away, you know, from the rushing game, and obviously so with, you know, 16 carries versus, what, 58 pass attempts, you know, for Matt Ryan in that game. I mean, Jacksonville, I think, is a pretty legitimate defense. Were they as good as, say, the Broncos the week before? No. Um, Do I think the Tennessee Titans are maybe in the Jacksonville range, maybe a little bit worse defensively? Yeah, probably. So you're hoping you get Jonathan Taylor back on Sunday. We'll see maybe how much he would help the run blocking scheme, just having him back out there. No offense to Deion Jackson, who played well the last two games. No offense to Philip Lindsay, who played well, you know, each of the last two games. So the, the pass blocking obviously was, was significantly better. Not just no sacks. I don't have the exact amount of pressures off the top of my head. But really the only time I can think of, where pressure made a play against Matt Ryan was, you know, the intentional grounding he took right. for the blitzer that was unpicked up, you know, early in that contest. So now, now let's see if this group stays together. Uh, you would think it's going to be Dennis Kelly spot at left tackle going forward. Uh, and, and let's see what it means for this football team. Yeah. I, I think at the end too, uh, somebody got up the middle around Matt Pryor and that was that low yeah. hit that uh that Ryan took but he he had enough on the ball and delivered a a fantastic pass to Alec Pierce and and that was the game winner. Greg Rakestraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, a couple of expectations later on this week. Jonathan Taylor check on Sunday, Naheem Hines check on Sunday. What do you think is going to be latest on the offensive side of the football? And again, I guess Deion Jackson, I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. He went out of that game on Sunday as well, the level in which you felt he was playing out there for some injured, uh, injured individuals uh, in that backfield? I think over the last two weeks, we have proven that Deion Jackson is a capable NFL running back. If he is your backup or number three, you're in pretty good shape uh, because he got a lot of snaps the last two years in the preseason, and clearly I know that better than most. 
Um, but I'm not sure he did anything to distinguish himself. You just kind of knew the Colts were high on him coming out of Duke. You know, he was an undrafted free agent, but a guy that, frankly, had a little more money offered to him than most undrafted free agents do. Well, he's backed that up with how he's played the last two weeks. Uh, I, I thought he was maybe more Naheem Hines than Naheem Hines has been in terms of a guy that was a difference maker catching the ball out of the backfield. I hope whenever Naheem is back, whether that is this week, next week, whatever, that the Colts can take that blueprint and say, hey, see, we got the ball to number 35 in this fashion. Maybe that's how we treat number 21 and get him more of the ball on a regular basis. Um, in, in terms of my expectation or confidence level, I would say it's close to 100% that, that Jonathan Taylor plays on uh, on Sunday. And Naheem Hines maybe slightly above 50-50s because you never know from, from a concussion protocol standpoint. A couple other things with Greg Rakestraw. What do you think the chances are, the odds are, the Boilermakers make it here for the Big Ten title game? I, I, I mean, it's between them and Illinois, right? Obviously, things can change. But if, if we're talking about Purdue versus Illinois for the Big Ten West Championship, man, you're the mayor of crazy town, uh, you know, when you say that. So um, they've got a shot. Uh, knowing we have seen Purdue step on the banana peel so many times when, frankly, they've had better teams than even this one, which is clearly a flawed team but has the benefit of a user-friendly schedule and does have a lot of offensive playmakers that makes them a fun football team to watch. Um, it's uh, it's honestly the, the logo on the helmet and the name attached to them that gives me pause for not saying they'll be here representing the Big Ten West. Just because, buddy, I have seen this movie script before so many times, and I hope it doesn't happen. I want to see them at Lucas Oil Stadium. I want to see them win the Big Ten West Championship. High school-wise, things get underway, one-and-done tournament style on Friday. Not everybody, but I guess most when it comes right down to it. Um, Some things you're looking for on Friday night with these week number one matchups. Yeah, it's all but about 70 or so teams across the state. Nobody in 5A or 6A. The handful of teams that get buys in 1, 2, 3, and 4. My game is going to be Mount Vernon and New Pal. Uh, that game catches my attention. Um, other, otherwise, Danville and Tri-West, a game that, that has my attention in 1A. Two of the best teams will play off the bat in terms of South Putnam and Lutheran, the defending 1A champs. Um, a lot of heavyweight matchups next week in 6A, like Carmel and Westfield, like Ben Davis and Brownsburg. And again, the, the thing that we're talking about going into the 6A tournament is what we talked about from week one on, that there's just not – there. you know, Brownsburg was the number one team in the state until their quarterback got hurt. And that played a big factor in HSC being able to come back and beat them last week. Yet. And now HSC, rightfully so, enters as the number one team in the state going into the postseason. Uh, but um, – Again, it's it's more balance and parity than we have seen more years than not in terms of, of 6A. And I think 5A is going to be wide open as well. Could be even the Whiteland Warriors that could be playing in the state championship game in, in uh, Lucas Oil in about five or six weeks. How about some of those teams in the mid-state? Shout out to the mid-state, huh? Great year for the mid-state. Now, obviously, Mooresville has had it turned around. And Mooresville had success under Mark Bless. Now that Mike Gillen is there, Nick Patterson's a fantastic quarterback. They've got some good athletes. Clearly, they're in 4A. Uh, Franklin has put together a representative program at the 5A level now. Uh, Martinsville has had a really good year, even though I think they've now lost their last couple of games. But, yes, you can see that uh, 
the the programs are picking up as the suburbs are expanding in that direction. Yeah, and the mid state schools are are picking up their level of play in multiple sports across the board. What what level? Speaking of Mooresville, really quick, their quarterback Nick Patterson, as you you referenced. Yep. What, what level is he uh, college-wise? Is he a college-level quarterback? I've not seen him play. I think he is. Uh, I think there are some larger schools that want him to switch to linebacker or defense. I know he is adamant about playing quarterback. Right. I think he's probably a, a Division two NAIA, Indy, Marion, St. Francis, Indiana Wesleyan. I think he'd make a great quarterback at any of those schools. Maybe, maybe even your Sycamores as well, John. What do you got coming up right, later on this week, this weekend? So Mount Vernon New Pal yep. on Friday. I get to uh, head with my buddies Query and Schultz to Ball State for a little pregame coverage of Ball State Eastern Michigan on Saturday. Uh, and then I get to head to the alma mater, college football, UND and Quincy on Comcast 81 uh, coming up on Saturday night. And then it is, uh, you know, a little road dog work as far as uh, Colts and Titans in Nashville. By the way, you called in the Janvy takeover and requested to tap the bottle and twist the cap. Yes, sir. On on Saturday night, and I had to look through. I did not have an edited version of that, and it clearly needed an edited version. <laughs> I know I'm to remember, because I'm to remember the song. I'm like, what yeah. needed to be edited from that song? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, there was there was some stuff in there, uh, at least from what okay. I was listening to in the version that I had too. And I I understand because I went from from Paperboy's Diddy to Slam by Onyx to Insane in the Brain by Cypress Hill, which would shock probably anybody that's ever tuned right. in to B105.7, but that's what the JMV takeover's about on a one-hitter weekend like that. And uh, it was, it, honestly, it was a good call. I was unprepared to roll it. My bad. So so literally, I actually had a Saturday night off, and so I got in the car, and I hear Cypress Hill on <laughs> B1057. And I look at Amy, I'm like, how many did I have to drink? Because I'm hearing yeah. Cypress Hill on B1057. So I thought, and then I heard you say one hit. I'm like, okay. If we're going to go early 90s hip-hop and R&B, I'm yeah. not sure there's more of a one-hit wonder than young black teenagers. So yeah. I thought that was the way to go. That was a that was a money call. The, the dude, one of the dudes in that was in that um... – was it uh, was it the was second house the second house party? Who you're referencing? Yes, and then DJ Scribble was yeah. also a part of that group as well. Yeah. So yeah, I just didn't have my my version was not going to work. However, did you enjoy Insane in the Brain with Beavis and Budhead remixed in it? That was pretty sweet, huh? Of course I did. It's oh, yeah. I appreciate you, man. Thanks, Greg. See you, pal. Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Let's do some calls coming up next at 239-1070. Thoughts on Sunday, thoughts on moving ahead to Tennessee and where the Colts are right now uh, within the AFC in general. We can hit some college if you want to do that as well, some MLB, and the Pacers open up tomorrow night, the first of three at home to start the season at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. We can hit that as well at 239-1070. Back with you next. The Ride with JMV. It's called Sex Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in nine countries. It's quite pungent. It stings the nostrils. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Science. Kyle's over there. I'm John. Thank you for joining us. Uh, NBA season officially opens up tonight. Sixers, Celtics, Lakers, Warriors. The 
twin bill going on tonight. That's on TNT, by the way. The Pacers open up the first of three to start the season tomorrow night at Greenbridge Fieldhouse. So we got all that covered for you. And then some Joel Erickson of the Star coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. But you guys have been waiting on this because it's not always been kind numbers-wise from PFF and our data scientist Ben Brown every Tuesday here in the 4 o'clock hour on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Let's get back to Sunday against Jacksonville that we see across the board, maybe with the exception of the defense against the run, a lot better numbers for this Colts team. Took the words right out of my mouth. I do think it was, you know, uh, you definitely took the words out of my mouth. It was, you know, Matt Ryan's, I would say, um, best game from a passing perspective, obviously high volume, but no turnover-worthy plays, no sacks. So I do think, you know, overall that speaks to, the pass blocking having a legitimately much better day than what we probably would have even expected heading into it. So it was basically everything but, you know, the run defense. And I think even there were probably some, you know, flashes of quality run defense to play too. Obviously, the, 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 the two long runs early in definitely put the Colts defense and offense kind of behind the eight ball. But uh, I would say overall there was that fourth and one stop on, you know, a run play as well. So it seems to be that they are kind of capable of at least stopping the majority of run plays. It's just, you know, one or two of those are breaking, and I think that's kind of been, you know, the detriment of the defense so far this year. From Pro Football Focus, Ben Brown every Tuesday right here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So I had to deal with some jackassery after that game on Sunday because everybody said, you've been too hard on Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's a lot better than you give him credit for. Matt Ryan is not washed. I want you to compare the numbers of Matt Ryan, the Colts quarterback, on Sunday, and then the overall numbers. How going into the game did you and the numbers view him? And then after that game on Sunday, how do we view him as a quarterback as far as the numbers are concerned right now? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I I think you were very much justified in your critical nature of, you know, Matt Ryan, I would say, at the quarterback position. We had him, um, you know, from a PFF passing perspective, we had him, you know, definitely like bottom tier uh, among starting quarterbacks. I think he was like 25th, 26th in PFF passing grade. So, it was very much justified, but I think, you know, the, 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 the situation around him wasn't great. It seems like it's gotten, you know, at least a lot better at that secondary wide receiver position over the past couple of weeks. I think the emergence of, you know, Alec Pierce being somewhat of a legitimate threat downfield is opening up things for Michael Pittman. And I think that was kind of where, you know, the offense was overall very successful on Sunday. So I, I think going forward in, in, in quality situations, in quality circumstances, Matt Ryan can still very much be there. But I think the concern, you know, coming out of this game, especially still has to be, you know, if, 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 if Matt Ryan is going to be the sole reason why they win the game, are they actually going to be able to do that? I still think that that is a question that uh, it, it, it very much still needs to be answered before kind of crowning him as, you know, back or even the Matt Ryan of yesteryear. I and, and I want you to hold on to that one for a moment too, Ben, because I want to move to that and then kind of play off of, of what you just said with this offensive line. I have said all along that this, this team and this offense is going to go as far as this offensive line, the level in which they have played. And as you told us last week, the, absolute bottom of the NFL they played much better I thought across the board especially once Dennis Kelly got in there early in the game at left tackle 
Um, is uh, it, was it more about the offensive line you think and how they protected, or more about the offensive changes that they made? You know, the no huddle, the quicker rhythm passes, the the tempo that they had. Was it more about that or the offensive line just in general? From what you saw on the numbers that you're looking at right now, play better. Yeah, I mean, I I think it it was in, in a lot of ways, you know, I would say kind of have to do with the scheme as well. I think, you know, from a from a pure pressure perspective, this was actually, you know, the lowest uh, the lowest time to pressure that Matt Ryan had on the season. So he was very much getting the ball out. Uh, I would say a lot quicker than what he has been in previous weeks, and I do think, you know, that's obviously. Uh, a big, you know, a testament to, you know, his ability to actually kind of find open receivers underneath. So they were at 2.37 second average time to throw uh, in week six. That is about, uh, you know, four tenths of a second faster than where they were at in week five. And it's, you know, uh, at least a tenth of a second lower than, you know, where they've been at throughout the season. So definitely, you know, much quicker passing attack. I think the the nice thing is the average depth of target also dropped off a little bit. I think that was, you know, the high volume, you know, headed in Michael Pittman's direction. But I think that is, you know, the secret to how this offense can actually be unlocked. So I do think that that's, you know, obviously helpful to, you know, an offensive line that's struggling. And I do think, you know, outside of, maybe them playing a little bit better that's the main reason i would say for both you know the offensive success the 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 lack of sacks that actually happened and then you know matt ryan's ability to ability ability to actually handle some of that pressure situation what did dennis kelly grade out once he entered the game there early for the rookie bernard ryman on sunday yeah let me see if i can find him so um so dennis kelly basically was at he was pretty good. I mean, so he was at a 70.2 overall uh, offensive grade, which we would say is very much, you know, league average um, pass blocking a little bit above average and, you know, run blocking a little bit below. So I do think, you know, him filling in uh, very much, I would say a replacement level player. I do think gave you, you know, average to above average uh, production, at least for one week, high number of, you know, snapping snaps and things like that. So I think, you know, they seem to, at least for one week, kind of have a guy in place that can at least lock down, you know, and solidify that side of the offensive line. I think they absolutely need that, you know, in, in helping Matt Ryan go forward. Yeah, well, and the rest of the offensive line, do you have the individual numbers besides Kelly along that offensive line in front of you right now? If you don't, that's okay, but I'm just kind of curious. And then team-wise for the offensive line, where did they rank with their level of play in week six? Yeah, I mean, so let's look at it here. So we had – um, the Colts specifically as basically the 25th best PFF pass blocking grade heading into the season. I think they were or heading into the week. They were kind of a league average um, unit, I would say, from a pet pressure rate perspective, so more close to like 16th, 17th. Um, let's look at their actual individual uh, performance along the offensive line from a pass blocking perspective. Because I do think, like you said, you know, much more interesting, um, you know, scenario for them. So let's pull that up i would say uh, and i got some other positions in here but um so Braden smith had um i would say the second best pass blocking grade from a colts offensive lineman outside of you know quentin nelson who we would very much uh expect to be good i do think you know dennis kelly as well had a little bit of a better pass blocking grade than Braden smith so Braden smith was the third best um let me filter down here just one more second um but yeah it's i I think overall, you know, the interior, especially along the left side of that offense, played a lot better than uh, we would have expected, basically. So let's see here. Um, we had, in week six, Dennis Kelly 
grade, like I said, 71.2 pass right. blocking grade. Ryan Kelly, uh, 73.4 pass blocking grade. Once again, that is above average. Uh, Quentin Nelson, 81.0 pass blocking grade. Obviously, you know, the, the consideration at the guard position is a little bit more difficult. But uh, and, and then Braden Smith as well, 68.0. So all of those guys basically right around uh i would say you know league average from a pass blocking perspective the you know the the two guys you know and, and they really only played um how many snaps did they actually play here um but matt Pryor and bernard raymond both really really poor from a pass blocking perspective so i do think you know yeah. at, at least when they kind of brought new guys in uh they, they definitely very much exceeded the expectation that the prior person they had in that role uh you know, it, it was a much bigger improvement. I would yeah, say. Yeah, and again, I, I don't know. And I asked this question, Ben Brown of PFF is with us, whether or not offensive line wise, that's going to be sustainable. Yeah. You know, hopefully with Dennis right. Kelly, it is because that, that certainly has been a position where Chris Ballard has completely either overlooked it or, you know, certainly did not identify it in a fashion in which it was, was necessary. Uh, that has shown to be true, but yeah, that right guard position a year ago, which was anchored, uh, by Mark Lewinsky, yeah, still continues to struggle, and we saw it again on Sunday. Uh, not team-wise, the team kind of lifted it up, but uh, Matt Pryor at right guard did not have a good effort is what you're saying. Yep, and that's, you know, basically reflected in our uh, grading. And, and like right. you said, I do think, you know, the consideration is how good was, how good specifically is that, you know, defensive front, uh, you know, for the Jaguars. We talked a little bit about it last week, but, uh, they are very much like a league average unit. And I do think, you know, kind of heading in, in in Tennessee's direction week seven, they are an above average, you know, pass rush uh, pressure rate type front seven. So I think, you know, this is really going to be uh, the, the test for what I would say is kind of a reconfigured offensive line. And we'll see, you know, if, if they pass the test, uh, you know, how successful they can actually be offensive. I, I don't know about you, but with Matt Ryan and Ben Brown again joins us. I, I've said this, because Frank Reich said this yesterday, the Colts head coach, that you know, throwing it 58 times and, and running that no huddle, uh, it, it's not sustainable for this offense. But I, I think being quick, quicker rhythm and shorter pass patterns is something that you have to find sustainable because I, I felt, you know, just beyond the no huddle alone, but just those other aspects that they added in that longer week in preparation for that game against Jacksonville on Sunday, yeah, helped out not only the offense to find a significant rhythm of execution, but certainly helped that offensive line with some of the numbers that you're talking about here. Yeah, very much so. And I do think, you know, it, it had to be in some ways. I know Frank Wright can come out and say after the game, oh, we didn't want to throw X number of times. But, you know, their first, I would say, five or so plays on offense were all passing plays. So it does, did seem like they knew how could, they could attack and, and kind of establish that initial rhythm with Matt Ryan and the offense line and the wide receivers. I do think that, you know, going forward, that very much should be the approach week in and week out. And then, you know, when Jonathan Taylor's back in the fold, you mix him in. He's kind of the guy that's salting away victories again like they were last year. And I think, you know, if that plays out and is somewhat successful, that, you know, low average depth of target rhythm passing game, uh, that's going to be where the Colts are going to be absolutely at their best. And I do think that does kind of have to be, you know, the general overarching game plan for this offense to be successful. He is Ben Brown of PFF every Tuesday right here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I'm going to give you a minute to look this up and stretch out this question a little bit. Defensive side of the football against the run, it was not good on Sunday. We know that. But 
DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart have been consistently good. Buckner in the past couple of weeks and basically Stewart the entirety of the season. Where do those two along that defensive line rank among those other defensive linemen in the NFL, uh, both individually and I guess collectively as of six weeks of the season is concerned, Ben? Yeah, let's, so let me look this up here. I thought you were going to ask more of a team specific question, but well, that's okay. You can, yeah, you can go team defense wise if you have that in front of you right here. We can go that direction too. So let's talk. Yeah, so let's talk team defense. So we had yep. them, you know, coming out of this, coming out of this week, we had them. We have the the Colts with the tenth best run defense grade as a unit uh, so far this season. I think they're tenth basically in EPA allowed per run play as well. I think you know the, the interesting thing from my perspective. Uh, is the success rate. They, they, they basically only allowed, you know, 35.8% of run plays to be successful from an EPA perspective, which is the sixth best mark in the NFL. So they're very much been, I would say, in a lot of ways, dominant up front, especially against the run. The one thing, again, is when a guy does break that second level, there really isn't much resistance. And then when that happens, you know, they're ripping off really big chunk plays. Thankfully, you know, that, that that's not happening a lot. I think they have, like, the, the fourth best, I would say, what we call it, this average depth of tackle. Basically, if you take all of the tackles on the run play, and on the run play, how often or how low is that average depth where they're actually first making that tackle? Fourth best in the NFL. So I think overall, um, they're very stout against the run. It's just one or two chunk plays have kind of, you know, broken, uh, broken open and kind of been, you know, the one detriment to that run defense. And I do think, you know, assigning blame in those situations. Uh, is definitely an interesting thing, but I think overall as a unit, uh, they have very much, I would say, been successful to start the season. It's uh, Ben Brown of PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. I mentioned this, the entirety of the AFC right now, I kind of want to go here. It looks through the first six weeks of the season that there is a clear front runner, and that is Buffalo, and then basically everybody else is in a particular bucket of teams uh, looking to hopefully take a step forward how close is everything numbers wise within the AFC with the exception of what Buffalo has done in the start in the first six weeks yeah I mean it's been it it very much is Buffalo and everybody else I think we kind of expected that Um, I I would I would still say that there is you know a a clear number two in Kansas City um, maybe a a little bit behind Buffalo but I do think they are you know very much the the second tier and if they're not with Buffalo in that first year definitely in a second tier of their own and then it's you know there's a there's a conglomerate of teams that we have basically you know with over 50 percent odds to make the playoffs we have you know Tennessee uh very much you know those those probabilities are going to shift based on what happens in this matchup against the Indianapolis Colts and then we have you know the Chargers Baltimore Indy and and Cincinnati and I think if you look at you know those five teams there it's really hard to you know you you can kind of pick and choose what's spots you like and who's who's stronger and what path to play and all these other things but uh, i think those five teams you can very much find you know a number of concerns at certain key positions but also a lot to like at certain key positions so i think you know those five teams especially are are very much in the same tier and i'm not quite sure you know how those five are really going to break out and who's going to end up in the playoffs and who isn't from that, yeah. that that tier of team it seems like that if if you lose if you the colts on the road on sunday you're going to have to end up and, and again this is familiar territory for them and it didn't work out a year ago, but it, it certainly has in the past. I don't know how 
great it's worked out, but certainly two years ago they did go to the postseason when they added a team. But you're going to have to end up jumping a lot of teams because that's part of it too. I mean, along right. the way here as you you know get closer and closer to midseason here, you know, the, some other teams are going to separate. And you're going to end up having to, in this jumbled mess here in the middle, have to jump a lot of teams to make it. Yeah, and, and you know the considerations as far as like division, you know, division finish and those sorts of things. Actually, winning that AFC South, the implications are huge in this particular matchup. We have a basically, you know, the Colts right now. Um, I, I think we have them basically with uh, a 52 percent chance of making the playoffs. If they lose here in Week Seven, that drops to 41 percent. If they win here in Week Seven, that jumps all the way up to 72 percent. So uh, a pretty dramatic swing, I would say, for this early in the season as far as you know just how. Uh, much this particular matchup matters in the grand scheme of things for how successful the Colts can be, you know, in their 2022 season. So Ben Brown of PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Before I let you go, go back to overall quarterback play, because I don't think that uh, I, I got an answer from you on this. Where is, is Matt Ryan overall quarterback play in the NFL through the first six weeks? Yeah, do you want just passing grade or do you want uh, – Can we? Know, is, there a, is, is there an overall grade you hand out with all the quarterbacks in mind, ranking the quarterbacks we, through the first six weeks? Yeah, so we do so we do break them up kind of by, I would say, uh, both passing and then rushing the football. So then you see guys, you know, like you know, like Jalen Hurts. Is there a run um, for your life category? Uh, because he may be in that one. I don't yeah, know if he's I mean, in the rushing that's, one, that's, but yeah. That's, yeah, that's the only one that, you know, Matt Ryan, I would say, is, you know, really good in, so – um, it, it, or is not going to be all that considering, but we have basically, and this does have some injury situations included. Um, we have Matt Ryan as the, uh, let me look here. Um, 26th best passing quarterback so far this season. He is uh, sandwiched between Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones, uh, and, and a little bit ahead of a guy like Russell Wilson and Cooper Rush. So it still hasn't been, you know, all that great, which was by far his best game of the season. Right. Uh, I, I think, you know, in some ways, the one concern I would say, especially in this matchup, was that he was actually, I would say, really good under pressure. And I do think that's a little bit unsustainable. So I do think if you, you know, want to take, you know, a glass half empty approach, the fact that he was so success, successful in pressure situations, you know, in week six, maybe doesn't bode as well for his future prospects and both performing, you know, well in that situation, but also from a clean pocket. Well, we got to keep in mind, this is what I tried to explain to people. You, you don't just eliminate everything that's transpired in the first five weeks because the guy had fumbled right. 11 times and thrown seven interceptions. Right. And while we all know, understandably so, that a lot had to do with the play of the offensive line, those numbers, you know, still – go in his box score right there. Yep. Very much so. Very much so. So I think, you know, the, and that's got to be the takeaway. Like, obviously, you don't want to swing too drastically, you know, from one week to the, to the next. And this is very much, you know, the, the team that we were all sweating out painfully, I would say, through the first five weeks of the season. So that those things, those priors still hold. Uh, we can't forget about that based on, you know, one, I would say, you know, quality performance. So we'll see where it stacks up. I think, yeah. you know, more evidence has been that Matt Ryan hasn't been great this year. But, uh, you know, stringing together a few weeks can definitely change the sentiment overall around the league for as far as, you know, just how good Matt Ryan specifically and the Colts in general can be this year. And I've said to the folks around here, I understand why you want to be overzealous in saying, I told you so, this guy is really good. But that does not eliminate the first 
five weeks of play. And, you know, as far as your overall play is concerned, you get to string some games like we saw Sunday. You get to string some of these things together to get back into what I think a lot of folks would would uh, be a reasonable level of quarterback play for a playoff-worthy team, correct? Exactly. I Exactly. I think, you know, when, when you look at his grade right now, I basically said he was, you know, um, 26th, all things considered. Like, if you – maybe you have a top 10 roster at, you know, essentially every other position, every other key position at least. But I still think, you know, even with the playmakers that the Colts have offensively and defensively outside of the quarterback position, they very much need Matt Ryan at – somewhere close to a top 10 quarterback play in order to actually, I would say, make some noise in this AFC playoff picture from my perspective. Yeah, so there's still a lot of work to do, but uh, you got that on Sunday, and they certainly needed it against Jacksonville on Sunday without question. Hey, Ben, before right. I let you go, overall numbers, any surprising numbers? And uh, Mark wanted me to ask you this. Uh, Green Bay and the numbers that we have seen from Aaron Rodgers and the Packers overall this season, how surprisingly bad has it been to this point? It's been bad, to be honest with you. I think, you know, the concern is is that uh, the Packers thought that Aaron Rodgers could win without a legitimate number one wide receiver, a guy who can kind of win over the middle. They thought, you know, Aaron Rodgers probably still had enough in the tank in order to you know, throw receivers open and legitimately be, you know, the guy that he was in his MVP type seasons. And he's just, you know, not playing anywhere close to that level. They don't have a guy that, you know, can consistently win on third downs or that Aaron Rodgers even trusts enough to get enough separation to throw to on third downs. So it's bad. I think, you know, there's obviously people who want to pour on both uh, the Packers and the Buccaneers. I very much think, you know, the Packers situation is worse than where the Buccaneers are going to find themselves at, uh, at the end of the season. But, uh, I, I think, you know, that relationship could be, you know, finally running this, you know, or officially maybe over after this year, unfortunately. And I do think, you know, that's uh, a, an unfortunate ending to this Packers situation, but it's just been, you know, something where Rodgers hasn't necessarily shown that high end ability every single year. He's flashed it at times, but uh, I would very much say over the past five seasons, especially with some of these playoff losses, the, the luster, I would say, as far as him being this elite top three quarterback. Uh, it's simply not happening anymore. Some work to do, no doubt about that. Ben Brown of PFF, always on a Tuesday here in the 4 o'clock hour via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. We'll see if uh, that uh, the quarterback here can work on the 26. But again, at least you're playing off a positive, which has not been the case basically for the weeks prior, even in some wins. So at least you're working off a positive. Very much so. I would definitely agree with that. And I do think, you know, the run defense specifically is going to be the key this week against Derrick Henry. I do want to give you the stats of Grover Stewart. We have him as the 18th best interior defensive lineman in our run defense grade. We have, uh, we have DeForest Buckner, basically, I would say 25th in that metric as well. So, uh, you know, Grover Stewart's a guy that's been a little bit above average. I would say DeForest Buckner and run defense, you know, specifically, maybe just a touch on, un- maybe just a touch, touch under uh, average. So it's, it's, it's been a spot where they've been pretty good, uh, and I don't really think you know they're the reason for why these big plays have been breaking out, unfortunately. Yeah. So it um and again the run defense has got you, you saw that that was problematic certainly on Sunday, but uh, those two guys and especially it's been Stewart the entirety of the year. I mean he he's from start yeah. to where we are now been playing at a high level. Buckner, you know I guess he's getting used to that that elbow pad and playing with that elbow situation. The past two he has been a hell of a lot better, no doubt. 
Right. Very much so. Very much. I agree. I think, you know, Grover Stewart's kind of been the guy, I would say, in, in the interior wise for why they've been, you know, so successful in so many instances against the run this year. So Ben Brown of PFF every Tuesday right here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. It is always a pleasure. We'll see what happens down in Tennessee on Sunday and sort out those calculated numbers coming up on Tuesday with you. I appreciate it, Ben. Thank you. Thanks, James. You have a great show. That's uh, Ben Brown of Pro Football Focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. 26th for the quarterback. That feels about right. I mean, if you're you're not having uh, too much recency bias with this last week. And there was a lot of that on Sunday. And I'm, I'm happy that you can have it. I'm happy that you can complain to me that, that I'm wrong. And I know a lot of people went to Bob Kravitz as well because Bob Kravitz had a similar sentiment. Listen, you can play off of that, work off of that game on Sunday, but that does not eliminate, again, the standing right now with the types of numbers that were put up leading through the first five weeks. So hopefully longer term, you guys are going to be accurate about it. But as of right now, it's still more overwhelming. Um, it's a below average work in progress. And as Ben mentioned, you you have to get better at that position for this team to get better. Now, granted, I think this whole thing works off the offensive line. I think his game works off the offensive line. You guys are absolutely accurate about that. That's why I mentioned that there has to be some sort of workable type of offensive game plan that may not be equated to what we saw on Sunday because, as Frank Reich mentioned yesterday, that's not sustainable with a no-huddle style like that. But there has to be variations added to this offense because I think that offense and the way they ran that, the way they executed that, also helped out that offensive line a great deal. And it seems like that you got to find, and maybe it won't be this week, but at right guard, it seems like you're going to have to find, can you not find something better going on right now at right guard? Maybe it doesn't happen this week. Maybe they go with what got them a win on Sunday. But it seems like that that is going to be a decision that at some point is going to be long overdue. All right, quick break, and we'll come back. I got room for your calls if you want to play off of what Ben just said as far as the Colts, where they are, where they can be. The level of importance in this game in Tennessee on Sunday cannot be understated. Check that. Overstated. It can be understated. Can't be overstated. And there's no added drama to it. There's no stirring this up. You put yourself in an extremely bad position with a loss. you got to work your way out of where you already kind of staked your claim. Big game on Sunday, and I think that what Ben talked about just moments ago even probably enlightened it even more on how big that is. All right, speaking of big, you got a game five series tied at two. Yankees up three, nothing. Bottom of the first inning. Yankees go up three to nothing. I'm going to see who hit that home run. Uh, Gene Carlos Stanton. Uh, Stanton with a three run bottom of the first inning blast. Yankees a three nothing lead over Cleveland. Quick break and we'll come back, keep you updated on that. Joel Erickson to the star, top of the hour, 93.5, 107.5, the fan.
The Ride with JMV. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Ben Brown, PFF, podcast 107.5thefan.com. Uh, Greg Raystraw also there a little bit earlier. You can find that on a podcast as well. So Dan Graziano of ESPN, because the owners' meetings of the NFL are going on in New York City right now, right? Uh, Here is a quote regarding Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington Commanders. Um, Dan Graziano writes, Colts owner Jim Ursay on Daniel Snyder just now, quote, I think there's merit to removing him as owner. He called him the uh, old name, too? Yeah. And not the commanders? More Ursay on removal of Snyder. Quote, I believe that's the road we need to go down. We have to finish the investigation. It's an unfortunate situation, but I think it's the best interest of the NFL that we look it squarely in the eye and deal with it. And if you've been following this story i don't know how closely you're probably going to be following it a lot more closely now with those couple of quotes here but i don't know how closely you've been following this that there is a belief out there that you know daniel snyder has has said i guess that he has dirt um on some nfl owners and the nfl and i think was it his lawyer that stated today or other lawyers stated today that they were hoping that that didn't come this information from the NFL to Snyder with that particular dirt. I saw that a little bit earlier today, but somebody had mentioned this, Kyle, that clearly with that, those two quotes from the Colts owner, Jim Ursay, that um, maybe Daniel Snyder's not talking about him. Well, here's another quote from Ursay. He can investigate me till the cows come home. It's not going to back me off. Wow. Uh, in other words, Jim Irsay is not one of the NFL owners that Snyder has dirt on. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff right there. So there's no, I mean, it's interesting because the commanders are coming here in a couple of weeks, right? And there's no Carson Wentz because he's injured, which is a, a detrimental to the Colts. Um, as far as the draft standing is concerned. But you got a couple of owners now, I guess, right? A little interesting scenario in the next two weeks here. I'm a little surprised Ursay is the one going at him, considering that I think it was reported a couple weeks ago that it was Snyder that pushed for for Wentz to be brought in there. And the Colts had no other backup option. And... He can still kind of screw the Colts here with that second round, third round pick. So I'm a little surprised it's Ursay doing the talking. I um I can't has any owner said anything? This is the first owner publicly to say anything. Wonder if others will say anything or others will keep quiet. They must be pretty confident that they're gonna have I think they have to have twenty four votes to eliminate an or, an owner. So they must be pretty confident they have twenty four votes now. Yeah, because I can't remember at all anybody saying anything any even jerry jones didn't really say anything he just said he was kind of laughed it off yeah the dirt that because everybody kind of connected the dots when snyder said that to you know dallas and to jerry jones 
Yeah. That's something right there. Uh, that deserves a wow. Joel Erickson of the Stars is going to join us at the top of the hour. We'll uh, digest that one together. But that is incredibly rare to the fact that, uh, to my knowledge, he is absolutely the only one. The only one. Yeah, you're asking me if that surprises me? Yeah, it surprises me because nobody else has. More on that coming up here at the top of the hour. Uh, Ben Brown of PFF and Greg Rakestraw a little bit earlier, the podcast for each, 107.5thefan.com. Jason Bonham Experience tickets. We just found those, too. We got those to give away coming up before the end of the show. What is that, the Led Zeppelin Experience with Jason Bonham right there? So if you like Led Zeppelin, we're going to give you a chance to win some tickets for those coming up here before the end of the show as well. All right, again, yeah, the latest. That's that's interesting. I'm kind of reading this. It It's going. It's happening as I'm talking right here. Yeah, here's the initial quote. This is from Ian Rappaport uh, from Colts owner Jim Irsay. I believe there is merit to removing him as owner regarding Daniel Snyder. And then a couple of other quotes to follow. We'll get back to that coming up in a minute. Joel Erickson coming up at the top of the hour. We'll dive more into that and certainly the matchup coming with the Titans. And it is interesting to note that coming up two weeks from Sunday, the Commanders are here. So this one is not going to go away anytime soon, Kyle. One more thing. This is from Albert Breer. He says, Colts president Pete Ward and NFL PR folks are standing right next to Ursay. It's clearly something he thought about and wanted to do. So this isn't off the cuff. Uh, he was pre- He's prepared to go at him. Yeah, we'll see where this goes. I mean, there's no doubt that there's a past here. So this is going to get soap opera-ish. I would think, unless what we're talking about here, there's already an understanding between the other owners that this thing is going to be a done deal. But, you know, even without that perceived dirt, this is this is going to get even more interesting right here. Tom Pelissaro, quote, I'm very concerned that he needs to be removed, talking about Daniel Snyder. So he is the only one still to say anything. Yeah, this is uh, this is going to get uh, soap opera-ish coming up here without question. Yeah, more on that to come with Joel Erickson of the Star coming up at the top of the hour. Quick break, and we'll come back with you. 93.5107 by The Fan. The Ride with JMV. I want savages on the field. I want to lead the league in broken ribs. I want to put people in the hospital legally. No hitting in the head. I want them to cry and be scared to play us. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greg Rankstraw, Ben Brown. Podcast 107.5. TheFan.com. Deion Jackson of the Colts coming up tomorrow. Of course, a lot to get to as far as the matchup. Round two 
with the Colts and the Titans in Nashville coming up on Sunday, which is Mammoth. And then a recap continues from that win over Jacksonville on Sunday. But a lot to get to right now because at the owners' meetings in New York City, uh, the lone owner to speak out, and I mean out off the top rope, regarding the continued investigation and the removal of Commander's owner Daniel Snyder, was Colts owner Jim Irsay, and the only one to do it. And we'll talk about that and more. And on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now, Joel A. Erickson of the Star joins us. I, I guess there's no doubt that Jim Irsay is more times than not incredibly outspoken, but I guess it does surprise me a little bit. He is the only one to stand there and yeah, basically, in this case, come off the top rope. Uh, regarding all the owners of the NFL on top of Daniel Snyder. Did that equally surprise you today? Um, I think that it's it's surprising that, that an owner came out and said something. I, I think he, as it, as I'm looking at it and going through it, I think that it's it's probably less surprising that it's coming from Ursay. That whether or not Dan – I mean, there was an ESPN report that Daniel Snyder has threatened to out owners on some of the stuff that people don't know about them. Whether or not that that's true, whether or not that's true, a, a lot of Jim Irsay's dirt is already in the public eye. There's no and, doubt, and is is past and is stuff that's that's honestly, you know, it's it's addiction. It's stuff that um, has a component of, uh, you know, it's it's a component of you know stuff that's an illness as opposed to, you know, some of the stuff that Snyder's accused of. And then on top of that, I just think. I find myself sitting here reading these quotes and just thinking about every time we talk to Ursay, he talks about the history of football, uh, the history of the NFL going back to beyond when he was in charge of the Colts, back to when he was a kid. And I think that that's part of this is um, he just has such great reverence for the game. And the Washington franchise is one that used to be a pillar of the, of the NFL. Uh, and so I think that that, that, knowledge of history plays into this uh and why he's speaking out right now because the football you can say a lot of things about jim ursay but the nfl and football mean a lot to him so joel erickson of the star regarding uh, uh the outspoken jim ursay just uh, minutes ago from the owners meetings in new york city the fall owners meetings and joel via the andy moore uh, automotive group hotline. I want to get back to something that you said. I had a, uh, a Twitter follower, and I think this is rightly so, reference the movie Eight Mile uh, a little bit earlier with that final rap competition that Eminem had in that film, basically you know, shouting out to his counterpart, uh, I know what you know about me, and says it all in front of him. So yeah, clearly... That was what you brought up as the case. All of you know the past stuff with Jim Irsay is, again, past stuff, and there's no concern, as he also mentioned in a quote, that he could be investigated by Daniel Snyder until the cows came home, and there's nothing there. So he had no fear whatsoever with the past coming about with this in mind. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, I saw another tweet. Uh, obviously, it's hard when we're not there to, to give a lot of context, but I did see a tweet from Al- Albert Breer that said that, that Pete Ward is there, NFL PR is there. So um, this is this was calculated. This yeah, was, was something that he thought about doing. Um, this is, you know, a, a lot of times I think I, I think that he's, you know, talks off the cuff, and um, I think most Colts fans are used to it. But when, 
where when Pete's there and this is a topic that they're talking about, I, I think it's probably something that he thought about in advance. You think now um, you think now you'll see other owners kind of back him up on this or will everybody else remain quiet? I think that there is a group of owners that is more public and more available and that maybe some of them start saying something. But there's just there's probably I don't know something like 20 owners that you just never hear from ever on anything. And I wonder if, I wonder if even, even in a situation like this, if they just continue to do that, but you know, uh, Philadelphia's owner is a guy that I know has, has spoken in, in the public before Baltimore's. Um, I think that there's a chance that, that with this going on, I think that you start to see a few more of those guys who've been in the limelight a little bit more come forward. There's just, there's just so many owners that don't, they don't say anything at all about anything, even their own teams. Joel Erickson of the Star regarding the outspoken today, Jim Mersey, Colts owner at the owners' meetings in New York City, uh, regarding the continued investigation and removal of Commanders owner Daniel Snyder. And I, I agree with you this being being calculated as well because Pete is is also there. And, and also, as we talk about, you would think that the temperature was taken in that owner's room and you know this is what this is what we're thinking about and i i guess maybe jim ursay decided to be the spokesperson of a lot of other owners in this case the majority of those that are onto this with him you agree with that well, well and i mean even even if that's not what's going on ursay has never been shy about saying what he what he thinks i you know this is a much different and honestly smaller topic but I think about, you know, a couple of years ago, um, pre-COVID, you know, he had us all come over to the uh, team facility right before the combine. And the express purpose of it was to, you know, state his case that the NFL should keep the combine in Indianapolis. He's been very outspoken about the NFL screwing the Colts on primetime games. Um, he's just he's just unafraid to say what, he, what he's thinking about. So in terms of whether or not it's going on with the other owners, I think him saying that he thinks that there might be the 24, that's probably an indicator that there's something behind it. But I also think this is, this is some, to some degree, just who he is. Uh, he's willing to say what he believes publicly. Um, and, you know, this, this is obviously a big, big deal. But uh, he's, he's done it on some of the smaller stuff, too. All right, Joel, the latest quote I just saw from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, quote uh, from Jim Ursay, some of the things I've heard doesn't represent us at all. I want the American public to know what we're about as owners. I believe it's in the best interest of the National Football League that we look at this squarely in the eyes and deal with it. So that was his latest. Incredibly outspoken today. Yeah, and, you know, it's. Uh, I think that, honestly, with a lot of people – when you uh, with with a lot of people you talk to, sometimes you feel like it's a good interview going for going, and then you go back and you type it out, and you're like, well, maybe there wasn't as much in there as I thought when I first listened to it. Ursay is kind of the opposite. Whenever yeah. whenever you talk to Jim, uh, you're like, man, that was really good, and then you type it out, and you're like, how did I miss that? Like, there sometimes there's so much stuff that you kind of end up missing parts of it, um, and I think that as you start seeing more transcripts and stuff like that come out. There's just it's going to keep going. Uh, I just saw I actually just saw Stephen Holder from ESPN say every quote I read is more damning than the last. That's that's yeah. kind of what happens when when Ursay has something on his mind. Is you, you start looking at it, you're like, wow, this is getting 
he, turning into a bigger and bigger deal. He has definitely escalated this. And and what people around here should get ready for is you're going to have a, again a lot of uh, a lot of slinging his direction um, about the past. And he certainly has um, a past with this. But as you mentioned, it's it's a different past than what is being investigated in Washington right now. And it's overall the feeling that uh, clearly that's in the past and everybody knows that. And he doesn't have too many worries about that, nor any type of, you know, dirt digging up investigation that Daniel Snyder may have waiting for him someplace now so yeah it's uh it made it a hell of an interesting tuesday did it not here on the five o'clock hour yeah absolutely i i i honestly was was picking up my kids and got a text from my boss it was like hey have you seen this yet and i was like no and then i thought i was like oh my goodness here we go yeah so it's uh joel a erickson of the star with us we'll double back to that in, in a second as the news and the quotes continue to to filter in but i, I do want to get back to jacksonville for a moment because i had this on the mind football wise when I, I knew you were initially going to come on before all this news started breaking out of new york city and frank reich said yesterday regarding the offensive scheme that they utilized on sunday it's not sustainable I'm talking about the no huddle, you know, the the high tempo offense and the 58 passes of Matt Ryan. That's not sustainable. And while I completely agree with that, it seems to me that you have to try to take something out of that particular scheme and or game plan and implement that continuously into the offense because their execution in the second half was as good as we've seen it all year. What are they going to try to take away from what was successful just outside of that high-volume tempo that we saw in that win against Jacksonville on Sunday? I, I think that you'll see the I think you'll see the no huddle. Maybe not all the time. Maybe not quite as high a uh, a percentage of the time as you saw it on Sunday. Um, you know, if if they get Jonathan Taylor going and they want to do some stuff formationally, maybe you don't see it as often. But they Frank Reich has has gone heavy no huddle before in his time as an offensive coordinator. He did it with Philip Rivers, uh, not just here but in San Diego. They, they they did a lot of that, a ton of it in San Diego. Uh, when he was when he was the offensive coordinator of the Chargers, and I think I think what you saw out of it, and you know what it kind of unlocks in Matt Ryan, and and how it protects the offensive line, I think that they'll they'll continue to use that going forward. Um, I think the other thing is is a lot of that you know the quick passing game uh, where you're getting the ball out of Ryan's hands quickly. I think that they don't. They've been trying to kind of get there all season, and haven't been able to. Um, but this this was the most successful it's been, and I think that's something that you carry over too. Um, I, I as the offensive line didn't give up any sacks. I think they probably feel good about that. I don't think you necessarily can count on it. Uh, Jacksonville's pass rush uh, outside of the first Colts game has not produced a ton of sacks, uh, and I think you still have to protect this offensive line until you really feel like it's gel. I don't think you can feel that after one one game so that some of that quick passing game stuff getting the ball out of his hands quickly uh i think that'll probably stay too the, the biggest thing that's that you can't do is if you throw as many times as they did uh as many times as they did over and over again every week what eventually is going to start happening is defenses are just going to completely build their game plan around taking away the quick game taking away the passing game trying to blitz and get there there were a couple free rushers on Sunday. I mean, Ryan handled them better this time than he had previously. But it felt like as the game went on, Jacksonville tried to dial up more and more as they realized that the Colts were just going to keep throwing. Um, but, again, they, at some point they're going to get Jonathan Taylor back. 
uh, and you feel like they probably have some stuff that they figured out uh, in the run game maybe coming as well. This is sort of around the time each year when they kind of start to solidify what they're doing on offense. So Joel A. Erickson, the star on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Do you think that that offense, that up-tempo, how they were utilizing that, do you think it helped out the offensive line who had clearly their best day? And then part two of that would be, we now know that Dennis Kelly is going to be the starter over at left tackle. How much better, how much more of an upgrade was he than Pryor and or Ryman that also had a shot over there? Well, the biggest thing is that when Kelly, so, so Ryman, Ryman has the ability, but when he, he's, he's still raw. And so when he misses, he misses big. When Kelly misses, it's not, or at least it didn't look on Sunday as if it's such a, as if it's that big a deal. Um, and then going up tempo, it definitely takes something out of the pass rush. It's pass rush is uh, an explosive, hard thing to do. That's why teams are always trying to rotate as many pass rushers as they can into the game and, and keep guys fresh because it's, it's really hard to explode out of your stance and go full force effort uh, at the quarterback. It's a little bit different than the offensive line where you're, you're trying to be explosive. You're trying to do all that stuff, but you're not, you're not propelling yourself forward like a sprinter out of the blocks, literally on every snap. So you keep those guys out there on the field over and over and over again. And it's just, it's just hard to keep playing at that. Le- it's hard to keep playing at that level. And when you don't know huddle, they can't sub that, that makes it harder on them. And I, I do think you saw it take something out of the pass rush. And I thought that some of the plays later on, when they weren't throwing as quick, when when Ryan had time in the pocket, I think that's that's paying the dividends of what they did early on. Even when they weren't scoring, I think the quick game and everything that they were doing, you know, a couple of those drives, the first half drives that didn't score went pretty far. And I think that started to take something out of the Jaguars before they even got to the point where they started scoring. Yeah, it was just um, – it, it, it was. I, I, I loved it, and I'd been screaming for this since basically the half – of the Denver game. It's not even so much the up-tempo, which I, I do like. I like the no huddle, but it is the shorter pass patterns that are being run, the, the crossers that have worked really. It worked well for Michael Pittman Jr. earlier this year anyway, and you still see that working well. But I think with this offensive line, I don't think this offensive line has improved dramatically. I just think the offense and the execution has with the quicker rhythm stuff that we saw on Sunday. Yeah, and well, one of the questions with Matt Ryan was, will he be able to do that? Because he didn't do a ton of it in uh, Atlanta. That just wasn't the scheme. He played in more, you know, play action, get the ball down the field type of schemes. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's something that the Colts thought he could do. And we've kind of seen with this offense, it's, it's hard after one game to say that this is going to work this well and keep going this way going forward. But we've seen with this offense with the constant rotating at quarterback over and over and over again, that sometimes it takes a little while for them to figure stuff out. I mean, we're right around the sixth game is right around when Phillip Rivers started to hit his stride. Um, remember they, they had that game in Cleveland where rivers looked terrible and um, everyone was at every throat. And then right after that is when he kind of found his rhythm. We're kind of in the same part of the season now. And I wonder if Ryan is just starting to feel comfortable. I think the other thing that's happening with the quick game is you can suddenly trust your receivers more than I think most of us realized. Um, Alec Pierce in particular is not necessarily a quick game guy, but anybody can be. He was in Denver. Um, and Paris Campbell having the big game 
some of the tight ends, you're starting to see a little bit more production from those guys that I think most of us were expecting. Yeah, I uh, um, I, I agree as well. I, I want to see at least the shorter passing game you know, be something that is sustainable in this case. I, I just don't think the offensive line, um, as far as protection is concerned, I don't think that it's that much of a drastic improvement. I think it was more what they came up with in that many bye week that ended up getting them on Sunday. And hopefully it's more than just a really small sample size. It's something that they can continue to do because certainly they're going to need that down in Tennessee because that game on Sunday is absolutely mammoth. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, you, you have a chance to – it's not just uh... – it's not just um, for the lead of the AFC South. I think most people around here know that. This is, this is sort of for, you know, it's, it's crazy that it's happening this early in the season, but this is a chance for the Colts to take back what they haven't had over the last couple of years. Um, and in some ways, this sets up as a game, I think, where you can do some of this stuff again. It's, they, have not, they have not, the Tennessee's defense has not been good in the secondary. Um, and, just overall, and even in the even in the first game between these two teams, uh, even in the first uh, matchup between the two teams, they they got some yards in the passing game, um, and so I, I think that there's an opportunity to, to do some of this stuff again. They've done it. They've done the short passing game for a couple of games before, and you have to go back to the beginning of 2018 before the offensive line solidified to remember it. But for the first five or six games with Andrew Luck, this is what they were doing to keep him from getting hit and record wise, they weren't very They weren't super successful, but they were pretty successful on offense doing that. I think you can, you could see, you know, them kind of going that way because it's what they have to do this season yeah. uh, a little bit longer. Well, and it, it took, a, I think you mentioned this earlier too, regarding Phillip rivers. It, it took a little bit to get used to that. And then, I always thought in large part, one of the reasons why everybody, you know, really placed this offensive line on a pedestal uh, throughout the NFL was more because of the quick rhythm, quick release, getting rid of the football of Phillip Rivers than it was actually just how great the offensive line was. And it's it's almost like you, you saw a little bit of that, not the no huddle style, but a little bit of that on Sunday with what they tried to do with, with Matt Ryan to, to help out that offensive line and, and really to help that offense execute certainly better than it has the entirety of the season so far. Well, and that, that the other thing with that Rivers line is that they had Costanzo at left tackle. Yeah, no and doubt. They just haven't. They just haven't filled that yet. And Frank Reich used to talk over and over again about just how how much having Costanzo made life easier because you just you just as long as as long as he was at left tackle, you just assumed he was going to win almost all the time, and that makes everything else easier. And they they don't have that, haven't had it, you know, since he retired. Um, and so those those two things I think probably lend to them trying to get the ball out quick. Pittman, I mean, and the other thing is the, the physicality of some of these receivers lends to it because, like, we saw, we saw it with Pierce in Denver, and we've seen it with Pittman kind of his whole career. You don't have to be that open in the short passing game to get to it. I mean, some of the stuff that Pierce did uh, against Denver was pretty eye-opening to me in terms of just it's a short throw, it's a quick throw, and there's a guy hanging all over him, and he gets the ball anyway. Yeah, I, I agree. I, again, I hope it continues. Uh, you don't know, I guess, if it will or not, if this is maybe, you know, what you really have come to expect here as we approach the middle portion of the season. But, man, uh, is it necessary at the right time? I don't know if I've asked you this question before, and obviously we're thinking about other things regarding Jim Irsay at the owners' meetings in New York City right now. But Jim Irsay in the offseason, we talked about this leading up to that first matchup 
uh, Tennessee here in Indy early in the season where, to me, I, I called it smitten and or jealous of what the Titans are, what they look like, how they play, how tough and grinding they are, and then the most recent success they have had. W- would you call it that, smitten or kind of jealous with the results that this Titans team has had across the board through injuries, whatever the case, it seems like they're able to overcome. Is there a bit of jealousy there? I I think I think the best way to put it is something I always say, even about not just the Colts, but just sports fandom in general. Like, who are the teams that you hate as a fan? It's whoever's in the way. You know, it doesn't even have to necessarily be his, historic if it's if it's someone that's in the way. And the Titans have been in the way for the last couple of years. And I think that's that's part of it. That it is jealousy because he does want what they have, but they're the first thing in the way to what. To, to getting to where he wants the Colts to go, that is knocking them off the AFC South crown. And for all we thought, you know, in the first couple of weeks, that maybe that was changing a little bit. Here we are, you know, six weeks in, and it's Colts and Titans again. And yeah, they're in the way. And that's 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 as strong a motivator as anything in sports. So Joel Erickson of the Star is with us. I, I do want to get back again because I'm I'm listening to you and asking you questions about Sunday. But as this uh, news and the quotes continue to break in here regarding Jim Irsay at the owners' meetings, the fall owners' meetings in New York City, outspoken today uh, regarding the possibility continued investigation of the removal as owner of Daniel Snyder of the Washington Commanders, and to this point, he is the owner only owner that has been outspoken. Regarding this, I, I just saw this as well. I think this came from Florio and Pro Football Talk that, you know, the, the owners actually get in a room together. And according to his sources, that has yet to happen. So a fly on the wall, I guess, right, <laughs> to be in that room uh, when that ultimately happens with the outspoken Ursay, the rest of the owners, and certainly Daniel Snyder as well. Well, I'm not sure Snyder could be around there. Is he not? Is, he's not a, a part of it. When we were at the owners' meetings in March, the talk was that he has not been around the NFL. Ah, okay. And so I don't think he's. I'm not sure he's around. Well, I I just thought where Florio had referenced at some point that they're going to have to be face to face. I thought that that was probably, a part of what he had said. Probably true, but yeah. but you mean you know you know you don't do you don't do what Ursay did today if no you're doubt. not comfortable with that. No doubt. <laughs> No doubt. Hey, you know, the other thing I the other thing I was thinking of has there been anything? And I know what you talked about, you know about, you know what Jim feels about, you know the the NFL and and how he holds the NFL and the history and and the image of that and within high regard. Is there anything that you know uh, in the short term that he may have had an issue with with Daniel Snyder that maybe we're unaware of? No, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, of anything, of anything in particular. Because I, I don't either. I don't either. I was the, just all the public stuff that has come out. Yeah, I don't either. I just, it's just um, again. I guess that comes comes with the territory of you know going through something that uh, I won't say shocking, but it's a bit of a surprise on this Tuesday afternoon with these particular quotes. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if. Ursay's outspoken, but I don't think anyone saw this coming just because no one else has done it. This is this is the first, you know? Yeah. That's it. We'll see what else happens. Joel A. Erickson of the Star is with us. Are you expecting 
both uh, Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor to play on Sunday at this point? I I I was not at um, I I uh, my uh, I had a son born last week, so I wasn't at practice and haven't seen him. Well, congratulations so on that too. Uh, so are you are you back in the fold? Or are you hanging out? I'm kind of I'm kind of in and out. I'm helping. I'm I'm doing most of it from home, but um, yeah. Well, congratulations so on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're probably you're probably a little bit overwhelmed already, and this just kind of adds to it, is what you're saying here, right? Well, you know, it's it's this is the NFL season. This is just what happens. It is. You know, it's, it's just it's like a snowball rolling downhill. Now, do you get to go to Nashville on Sunday? Yeah. Yeah, I should be there. Yeah, well done. Because I think you were up at the press box on Sunday, so obviously you're getting some time to – to cover the team at the games, but having to spend time with the family, hopefully having yeah. a blast and doing it. Yeah, no, it's great. It, he's he's been awesome so far. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. But Did, yeah, kind of trying to juggle stuff. This is the first time I've had a. This is my third third child. And this is the first time I've had one in the middle of the regular season. So. <laughs> <laughs> Job well done. Stay after it. Uh, appreciate you very much. And uh, again, congratulations on that. And. Uh, if you hear anything else regarding what's happening in NYC, please lob us a phone call and let us know because we'll see. I'm assuming that this is probably not over by a long shot. And then you're considering the commanders coming to Indy in two weeks. So, I would say I would say if people want to know exactly what he said, um, uh, Nikki Javala, who covers the, the commanders for the Washington Post, has essentially tweeted out a transcript. So if you want to know exactly what he said, it's there. It's on Twitter right now. Uh, that's at Nikki Javala, N-I-C-K-I-J-H-A-B-V-A-L-A. Gotcha. I appreciate it, Joel. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Yep. Yep. We'll see you. Joel A. Erickson of the Star via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Again, the big news today is the outspoken Jim Irsay and what he had to say regarding the possible removal of Commander's owner Daniel Snyder. And to this point, he is the only owner to say anything, which has obviously sparked a great deal via social media right now. Yeah, we'll dive into some of that in a second. Nate did ask this. I really don't understand the media sometimes. When Reich says, quote, this is unsustainable, talking about the up-tempo offense and the no-huddle, where is the follow-up question as to why um, he basically answered it? He said because his team is not built for that right now. That's not how they practice. That's not how they're prepared. They had that many bye week to prepare for that game. Even Michael Pittman Jr. said after the game that he was absolutely exhausted. Well, it's a reason. This is kind of the Chip Kelly. Remember when Chip Kelly yeah. came to Philadelphia? They kind of tried to do this no-huddle, Oregon-style offense. It just doesn't work in the NFL long term. Guys get too tired. You go three and out. Your defense is back on the field. Your defense gets tired. Well, those guys, I mean, and like I said, the guys that were covering Frank Reich talking yesterday actually said that. Uh, He went on. I just choose to say he said it's unsustainable because that's what he said. I didn't go into the entire definition as to why, but it certainly was covered yesterday. And I, I know that it, sometimes you get an incredibly wrong impression about the media and you're misguided because of stupid crap regarding the media, but they absolutely did their job on that yesterday. At least that's the part that I heard. And I'm pretty educated on it, so I would tell you otherwise, friendship or not. 
but it was it was absolutely covered yesterday. Just I'm not going to go long-winded into it every single time and, you know, tell a lot of folks basically what they already know, I guess, Nate. So that's the most part of it. But it was covered yesterday. Quick break and we'll come back. We'll do some phones before the top of the hour as well. Pacer season starts officially tomorrow. They have three to open up the season at home at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Tonight the NBA opens up for real with a couple of games. Yeah, you had Kerry Underwood at Gamebridge Fieldhouse last night. You got Lizzo there tonight. And you have the Pacers opening up coming up tomorrow night. That and the latest quotes regarding Jim Irsay on Daniel Snyder at the New York City fall owners meetings a bit of a curveball and by the way too game number five of the ALDS right now Yankees 4-1 over Cleveland the Yankees are batting in the bottom of the fourth Stanton and Judge home runs for the Yankees so far in that game quick break and we'll come back 93-5-107-5 the fan the ride with JMV 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Uh, big news today is, at least earlier, taking place in New York City. The site of the fall owners meetings in the NFL and Jim Irsay outspoken regarding the possibility of uh, removal as owner of the Washington Commanders of Daniel Snyder. Here was the opening quote, and Ian Rappaport had it. I believe there is merit to removing him as owner, and then there was continued dialogue after that. And to this point, he is the absolute only owner to say anything. Kyle's got more. Kyle. So there's a statement just released from the commander's spokesperson on Jim Mercer's comments. Quote, it is highly inappropriate, but not surprising that Mr. Ursay opted to make statements publicly based on falsehoods in the media. It is unfortunate that Mr. Ursay decided to go public with his statement today. While an investigation is in process and the team has had no opportunity to formally respond to the, to the allegations. The commanders have made remarkable progress over the past two years. We're confident that when he has an opportunity to see the actual evidence in this case, Mr. Ursay will conclude that there is no reason for the Snyders to consider selling the franchise, and they won't. Uh, there is the retort from the Washington Commanders. I'm telling you, this is it. it um, two teams match up coming up in two weeks, and, and again, I know you're talking about owners here. Yeah, a lot of people have asked me this, and this is just you know, kind of par for the course. People have asked me, so what happens because of the past of Jim Irsay? When is that going to come into play? And my point was, and I think Joel also had said it, that clearly he doesn't care about the past. He's not worried about the past. Doesn't care about it at all. When Harley D sent me a a gif or a gif or whatever that is of, of um, you know, 8 Mile, I, I thought that was – pretty accurate as far as that is concerned because you know you're going to get that. He just felt the need to be outspoken regarding this. And he is. And it's not the fact that he's outspoken that's surprising. It's just the fact that 
the owners have been incredibly quiet about this until today. So you know, evidently Pete Ward is also with him in New York. So, and this is just me guessing here that this was pretty calculated and that most of the other owners to try to get something done on this are on board with, and this is just a guess, but on board with exactly what Jim Ursay, the Colts owner, had to say earlier today. Uh, that is where we are. And more on that, more to come coming up on this show tomorrow as well. Colts running back Dion Jackson also joins us on the show tomorrow. Andy's up next at 239-1070. Hello, Andy. Andy, are you there? Go ahead, Andy. Hey, um, they, uh, it was nice to see uh, right away the no-huddle offense because it seems like Matt um, but works better under pressure just being the way that it's us. Four games have gone, you know, coming back to the fourth quarter. It kind of slows it. It's like he plays a lot better with the no with the speed-up tempo, and it sure makes it easier for the uh, running backs to uh, run against them. Well, they had their hands on their knees. Uh, they were very tired, and it makes the running backs were running roughshod over them. I mean, I haven't seen running backs run so hard through there since James Mungrow, and that's a fact. Now, let me tell you this, Andy, too. And just because Frank Reich said yesterday it's unsustainable, it doesn't mean that they're not going to add aspects, continue aspects or variations of what they did on Sunday. I think he was just talking about the 58 passing attempts from Matt Ryan and the fact that going, you know, full-time no huddle, they'll probably huddle some, but they probably will utilize aspects of the no huddle continuously. It just won't be – to me, it won't be exactly like what we saw on Sunday. Uh, you're kind of fading out there, Andy. Sorry about that. Uh, this is what I mentioned. I, I want to see them have variations of what went right, how well they executed on Sunday. It's just not going to be exactly how we saw it on Sunday. You guys want Matt Ryan throwing it 58 times a game? It's not going to happen. Like, Robbie writes this, so what are the Colts built for? Like, 14 points a game? Other up-tempo teams seem to be just fine. Again, they're going to utilize aspects. To me, they're going to have to because I think that's one of the reasons why the offensive line was more successful is because of that. It's just not going to be exactly like what you saw. That is what he's talking about being sustainable or non-sustainable in this case. So certain aspects you have to because what you were doing prior to that in most of the first five weeks was not working. And I'd been screaming for weeks about shorter patterns and quicker rhythm passing, getting rid of the football. Now, granted, when you only have a little over two seconds before you need to throw, before you get sacked, that's difficult, but you've got to deal with it. And to me, clearly... What you saw with his offense worked out much better with the rhythm tempo that they utilized on Sunday. It's just not going to be exactly how you saw it. Don't don't at all believe that Matt Ryan's going to throw it 58 times again coming up this Sunday in Nashville. That's what he was talking about being unsustainable. All right, quick break. We'll come back for a final time. We'll give somebody a chance for the Led Zeppelin experience featuring Jason Bonham coming up here before the end of the show as well. Trackside with Kevin Lee in studio for the first time in stinking forever. 
I thought Kevin Lee was just a stinking myth, and here he is right before me. He's in studio, trackside at 7 o'clock tonight. Greg Rakesraw, Ben Brown, and Joel Erickson of the Star with us. And we'll get back to some of the comments regarding Daniel Snyder from Colts owner Jim Mersey and NYC a little bit earlier today at the owners' meetings. Uh, it has played a significant role in our content in the 5 o'clock hour, and certainly we'll go into tomorrow as well. We'll continue to follow that. I'll update you on that and more. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. It's Jim Pimmer, now talk to him, damn it. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hey, Greg Rakestraw, Ben Brown of PFF. Joel A. Erickson of the Star today. Thank you for joining us. The big news. Uh, Jim Irsay outspoken at the owners' meetings today in New York City regarding there being, quote, merit to remove Daniel Snyder as owner of the Washington Commanders, which uh, that was just one of many quotes from the Colts owner who has clearly taken the lead. And a couple of things that I mentioned earlier uh, regarding the temperature of the owner's room, knowing this is probably what the owner, not even probably, knowing what the owners want, and just taking taking the lead here is what he is doing. Now, other things that we also covered, because you also are going to get this, is, all right, so, you know, why is he outspoken? What about his past? Again, this is just my opinion on this. He doesn't care. And, in fact, he basically said as much earlier today when, and this is not a direct quote, but this is me paraphrasing, uh, he suggested that, Daniel Snyder could investigate him until the cows come home. So he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the past. He just cares about right now. And it'd be interesting to see if any other owners come out and say anything else. Um, at this point, they have not. However, in case you missed it, the Washington Commanders did release a statement of their own about 35 minutes after Jim Ursay made his statements. And here's how it reads. It is highly inappropriate, but not surprising that Mr. Ursay opted to make statements publicly based on falsehoods in the media. It is unfortunate that Mr. Ursay decided to go public with his statement today while an investigation is in process and the team has had no opportunity to formally respond to allegations. The commanders have made remarkable progress over the past two years. We are confident that when he has an opportunity to see the actual evidence in this case, Mr. Ursay will conclude that there is no reason for the Snyders to consider selling the franchise. And they won't. End of statement. So that is the latest. I'll have more for you on this coming up on tomorrow's show as well. Basically, this all kind of broke in the 5 o'clock hour, and we were fortunate to have Joel Erickson on regarding this. But um, this is going to be ongoing, and you can find this interesting or not, but the Commanders and the Colts play in two weeks. They play in two weeks. And, again, I think it was pro football talk, Kyle, that had mentioned that at some point here that Ursay and Snyder have to be in the same room. They had mentioned that. Now, Joel thought that that was not the case. I think I saw pro football talk, and Florio mentioned that, according to his sources, that would be the case. 
Yeah, I don't know how it works. Here's how this reads, by the way. Per source, the owner's only session hasn't happened yet in New York, so Ursay's comments make a conversation on Daniel Snyder unavoidable. So it doesn't say that he's going to be in the room. It says the conversation, I guess, with other owners. doesn't say directly he's going to be in there, but that was per source and a tweet from profootballtalk.com. I think he has stepped back from day-to-day operations of the team while this investigation is going on. I think his wife is actually the one in charge right now. So... Uh, We shall see. But that was from ProFootballTalk.com. And we'll get back into that coming up tomorrow. This is going to be interesting, and it's not going to go away anytime soon because Daniel Snyder, and clearly the Snyders, are going to fight this until the absolute end. We'll see if any other owners jump on board. We'll cover that for you coming up tomorrow. Colts running back Deion Jackson will join us coming up on tomorrow's show as well in the 5 o'clock hour. Bowen's going to be here tomorrow, too. Greg Rakestraw, Ben Brown, Joel A. Erickson of The Star. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Kyle, great job out of you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Lounge. YouTube Live, great day from you guys once again today. Kevin Lee, Kurt Kevin, track sides at 7 o'clock right here. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Have a great night.